Hello and welcome to this PSG Think Big series podcast. In this program, Alicia Seckham speaks to Michael Jordan about the future of digital banking and telecoms in South Africa. Hello and welcome to the Think Big series, a collection of dialogues with leading speakers that aims to bring its audiences independent insights on some of our country's most pressing issues. I'm Alicia Seckham, and today we're catching up with Michael Jordan. He is one of South Africa's most well-known and respected business leaders, a former CEO of First National Bank, who went on to found the largest venture capitalist fund in South Africa, Montgray Capital. So we have a banker turned venture capitalist here who now has the likes of Challenger Bank, Bank Zero, and 5G data network Rain tied to his name. And we're putting the spotlight on the future of digital banking and telecoms in South Africa, especially in the context of crypto and blockchain technologies taking hold. Where does it put us in the digital adoption race? It's great catching up with you today, Michael, because I think amidst all the unraveling we're seeing locally and the anxiety it's triggering as well, we need a dose of the venture capitalist spirit where you're cognizant of the challenges and the risks, right? But manage to find um, the opportunities and the growth potential nevertheless. So I'm gonna start off with, as a big thinker on finding solutions to problems and basing businesses on that, any big ideas on how we solve arguably one of South Africa's biggest problems right now, the ESCOM crisis? Uh, of course. So, Alicia, thanks for having me. In my new life, I get to read a lot more and think a lot more. Um, so it's, it's a um, wonderful experience for me to be able to share some of those thoughts for what they are worth. And yes, you're quite right that if you're an venture capitalist or any entrepreneur, what drives you is in the first instance solving problems. You know, if you do them well, it is possible that you will also create wealth in the process. But that is not your driving force. Your driving force is to solve problems. And I suppose the good thing about South Africa is we've got lots of problems. And many of them can be solved sustainably by business. Um, so you asked me about um, ESCOM and what's happening now. It is, of course, devastating. I'm in touch with some small businesses that want to hand back the keys um, because you need power to function. It's not just for the fourth industrial revolution, not just for the third industrial revolution. It was, in fact, the second industrial revolution that needed power. So the obvious one is a rapid installation of solar. Now, why would you do that? You would do it in the first instance because it is already cheaper than ESCOM if you use it in daytime. Um, so it's not you know trying to be green. It really is just cheaper. And it guarantees that you have power during daytime. And it's interesting, if you look at the amount of solar that was installed by the private sector last year, outside of the IPP program, that equated to one whole level of load shedding. So that's what the market solved by itself last year. And I'm comfortable uh, to predict that this year it will be multiple levels of load shedding as well. Because everywhere, South Africans are making a plan and they're installing solar. So that would be the major thing to if we look at the reality, though, Michael, majority of the population are unable to afford solar options, right? So in that context, there's a lot of um, rhetoric doing the rounds. Talk of a new law to fast-track power plant development. We've had Minister Mantashe saying that the power situation will be resolved in after 18 months, but no updated integrated energy and resource plan. And so government now facing the threat of legal action, do you feel that there's 
an adequate sense of crisis in government? I don't, Lisha. Unfortunately, I don't. But you know, what, what I've tried to do is kind of to stay out of politics and stay out of pointing fingers at government, valid as that may be, and rather just try and come up with a solution. So if I can just comment on your point that many people can't afford solar, that is indeed correct. But many of the large users of solar can. Those are businesses that operate during daytime. Farmers, you need to pump their water during daytime. And they also don't need the capital upfront for these solar solutions because banks are now coming to the party and financing the capex upfront. And they recoup that then by charging for the electricity, but at a lower rate than ESCOM. So my point is simply that there is a market solution available for some of the very big power users. And as they then take their demand off the grid, that improves the grid for those people who cannot afford to do it. So it really is a solution that is at our disposal and that I see people um, starting to implement quite quickly. So if that uh, continues, I can see that we will have better times in six months, but not because of what government does, because of what the market is doing. Absolutely. So safe to say you aren't putting your hand up for the vacant seat at Megawatt Park. You have to have to be crazy to do that job. You're crazy because you can only be successful if you have freedom to choose the best team around you and if you support it by your shareholders. Um, if that's not the case, even the, you know, you could put Elon Musk in there, you won't succeed. Well, like you say, it's uh, you know become a very much a political situation, a political entity, and the conversation on the merit of privatization, as far as ESCOM is concerned, is one we aren't going to be able to get into today. So until honest conversations are had, viable plans are laid and actually implemented, what do you think this means for local innovation and progress? I mean, you're synonymous with FNB being named the most innovative bank globally. You're now investing in disruptors in their respective industry, but it's got to be hard being innovative and being a disruptor, Michael, when you're the one continuously being disrupted. Yeah, that's right. Look, um, I have to say that even though I, I like that term and it, it does apply to some of the ventures I'm involved in, there too, the goal is not to disrupt in the first instance. It may be a consequence if you do your job really well, but in the first instance, you want to bring something to the consumer that is significantly better than the status quo. So if your solar can be on during daytime and it's cheaper, that's better. If you can provide unlimited data to customers so that they can be part of the modern economy, you know, that's something different. That may then be disruptive to kind of the, the people you compete against, but that's not you know the goal if you can provide electronic textbooks to kids as they join school so that they have the right books on the day that they join and it's cheaper you know those are the type of things that, that give me satisfaction because they're solving real problems so yeah. you, you, it's, it's easy to stay positive when you surround yourself with energetic people that are solving problems and that's kind of what i've been able to do in my new life Okay, so let's home in on this thesis then. Solve for problems you care about sustainably and you have a viable business. It's at the crux of Bank Zero. Make it accessible, convenient, efficient, cheap. But, you know, whether startups like these will get distribution before the incumbents yes. get innovation is a yes. question raised before, Michael. Six months yes. into things. How do you see that pendulum swinging? I, I think um, you, you're quite right. Um, it, it's said that if you do business without marketing it properly, it's very much like winking at a girl in the dark because you know exactly what you're doing, but she has no idea. So you can do all of these wonderful things, do free banking and do abundant data and so on. You've, it's got to be accompanied by the right sales and distribution strategy. And as you rightly say, 
That is really the dilemma of all the small smart startups. I see many businesses today that actually have superior offerings to what are available out there, but they are not growing as fast as they should. I actually also would put, um, you know, I point the finger at some of the consumers of South Africa, which is to say, once again, you are completely right if you point fingers and say, I don't know, the big banks charge too much, or the big telcos charge too much. But you can also do something about it. You know, the, the cost of switching to another bank is negligible. It's going to take five minutes. The cost of, you know, ordering a new um, SIM card online, similarly, it's five minutes. And the amount of money that you can save is significant. So consumers also need to look at what the options are out there, make themselves clever, and then actually switch and do something about it. Otherwise, things aren't going to improve. What about access- accessibility to, uh, you know, to that that option. Let's talk collaboration here, whether it be to enhance distribution or to incentivize customers in a bid at growing market share. What are, uh, you know, are partnerships with retailers, for example, the likes of a ShopRite becoming a bank, uh, the logical next part of this entire equation? I, I, I'm not sure, um, to be frank, but I do think so. I think for some of these startups to partner with some of the big brands, can be very, very meaningful. So, for example, if you're a bank, um, Bank Zero, and you can help a retailer save on, let's say, interchange or cash deposit fees because more of their customers pay for free the way it happens, for example, in China where you can't pay with cash anymore um, and you can't pay with cards anymore. You go there and you just you know, swipe your phone. Um, so I think there are many of those opportunities. I, I must say, now that I'm no longer in a corporate and dealing with corporates from the outside, it is pretty tough for a startup to do so. They don't always take it seriously. One of the things that happens, and this is broad, I'm not just speaking about my own startups, people speak of the very long maybe, which can be you know, a killer for a startup. But I do think that's the future. I think it's for corporates to partner more with startups that don't have the legacy, not the technology legacy, they have a different type of culture, and to say, can they come up with things that are better for customers? So I remain positive about South Africa because I do believe the market is going to sort those things out. But my plea, once again, to customers is, you know, you also need to do your thing. You know, don't just complain about ESCOM. Consider solar. Get some quotes. Do something on your roof. Don't just complain about your bank. You know, have a look. Maybe even as a secondary bank account to open a free bank account and, and put it to the test. I asked the question, uh, Michael, because another question that's popped up is, does completely digital work in a still largely cash-based society, right? Mm-hmm. And this the South African phenomenon. It's an African one. Fintech is growing, yes, in prominence, but there are challenges that come with digital adoption where cash for the most part is still king. Actually, cash is not for the most part king. If you look at the actual volumes that are paid in the South African banking system, it's significantly more than 90% that is currently done electronically. Salaries are paid electronically, uh, debit orders go up electronically, airtime is bought electronically. Um, so, yes, the remaining, so we call it the last mile is still, you know, people physically buy things like groceries, but even there, uh, debit cards are, are on the rise hugely. So, so cash is not nearly as prevalent as some people want to put it, but I, I, I take your point that it is still needed for some solutions, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine, as long as consumers realize that that is a more expensive way of doing transactions. One of the things I'm looking forward to, um, and I, it's just a couple of years away, is a day when everybody will have a smartphone. Because once you have a smartphone, it, it opens your world to, well, the whole world, to the internet, to all the content that is available there. But it also enables so many great payment solutions that you can completely move away from cash. 
plus it is less expensive. And why do I say it's less expensive? If you can use your smartphone and use WhatsApp calling instead of the traditional voice calling, or you can use WhatsApp messages instead of SMSs, and you can do your banking electronically, which is free instead of cash, that smartphone becomes not only a cool thing to show your social status with and stay in contact with your friends, it's going to save you money. Yeah. So far, Michael, Bank Zero Success has been uh, you know, signing up business accounts. So let's look at SMEs who operate with much smaller capital bases than startups like Bank Zero. Actually, it's a viewer question that I'm looking at at this point, uh, asking, when are we going to address SME challenges so that they can start making a contribution to the mainstream economy? So Bank Zero in particular uh, is very, very focused on the business market and the small business market because we believe it to be one of the neglected segments in South Africa. You know, they're the entrepreneurs out there that are actually creating the jobs and solving lots and lots of local problems. And it's tough out there, right? I mean, not, it's not just load shedding. We've just come out of COVID. The economy isn't growing. And this is why um, solutions like Bank Zero, which can save them, uh, lots of money every month. I mean, just yesterday we released a story of a delicatessen in a holiday town where I, I happened to, to to go on holidays at um, in Pringle Bay. It's um, it, 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 it's saving more than a thousand rands a month. Now, for that delicatessen, that is the difference between profit and loss, mm -hmm. and it's the experience we hope to multiply by two hundred thousand um, with with all the SMEs out there. But once again, um, you know, we need to advertise and market more. But you also want those businesses to start looking around at the solutions and not just throw up their hands in the air and point fingers, but be proactive. After all, that is the South African spirit that we are pioneering, that we are resilient and we make a plan. And I remain confident that the market is going to come with many more solutions than the state will. You have the banks needing to build a buffer on the one hand, Michael, to guard against risk, enhance systemic stability as well. On the other hand, you've got, and this again, a viewer question, banks that are highly capitalized, right? So the question is, are South African banks overcapitalized um, in terms of tier one capital for a developing country with such high unemployment and low SMME involvement? Shouldn't this capital be deployed into the economy? So I, I actually uh, looked up the, the capital ratios of South African banks, and it's true that they are solid, but they are not overcapitalized. I think they are appropriately capitalized for the risks of operating in an emerging market. And the wonderful part of having a good capital base is the South African banks never needed to be bailed out, like many of the banks in Europe and America had to be bailed out. And they were bailed out by taxpayers' money. And South Africa, you've got the completely the opposite situation where the banks are solid, they didn't have to build up, they are in fact profitable and they are contributing to the fiscus. Um, so I, I do believe that our banking sector is very sophisticated, highly rated in the world and something that we can be very proud of. However, um, it, it's, it would be that more can be done. And one of my, you know, if I, if I look back at my career as a big banker, one thing I wish I had done more of was lend more money to the SME sectors. You know, we were very focused on growing things like the credit card book or the home loan book. And all of those things are fine, but credit cards drive consumption. And while home loans are important for families, you know, the, the capital that goes to small businesses are the ones that, that really get the economy going. So that would be my single challenge for the South African banking sectors, make it easier for small businesses.
And of course, when you have these conversations about opening up the economy, building an inclusive economy, right? Access to finance is but one aspect. Another is access to data. With yeah. rain, scale and yeah. distribution mattering just as much. Uh, we had rain tango with Telcom for a bit. Did yes. you really want that tie up or is it just a clever strategy to get MTN and Telcom no, I... uh, and that possibility off the table? No. <laughs> So, you know, people describe all types of um, strategies to us that that wasn't the case. We think um, consolidation in the telco industry is going to happen. In most of the markets in the world, you have two or three big players. It's very, very difficult as a small player to have the capital to do countrywide coverage, which is what customers want. I mean, you want your cell phone to work everywhere. So, Rain entered the market with a fixed product, which basically meant routers and people's homes so that they have Wi-Fi there. And this is where we're leading in 5G right now. But it's clear to us from our reading of other markets that consolidation is likely to happen. So while the telecom merger now, for reasons that I'm not at liberty to disclose, um, hasn't come off, that doesn't mean that it can't happen in the future. Because that consolidation is less likely to happen with a very strong duopoly we have in South Africa. And it will be the smaller players like Telcom, Celsi, and Rain that, that will have to make a plan to be able to compete against the big two. Okay, so what did that over 1 billion rand at the first auction buy you? And not in terms of broadband spectrum allocation, but more so in terms of how that translates to your offerings as a player in the market and the impact you can have on pricing and accessibility. Yeah, so uh, something I've had to learn in the course of the past few years, but uh, how important spectrum is. Spectrum is the lifeblood of telecommunications. I mean, it's just not possible to run a mobile service or a radio or TV network if you don't have the right type of spectrum. And in South Africa, we've come from a position of spectrum scarcity, where for 14 years, no new spectrum was made available. And it's as simple as this. If you've got a radio network covering the country and you double the amount of spectrum, you don't need to expend a single more rand on hardware or software or connections to those radios. You just suddenly double the amount of data that is available to South Africans. And why that is so crucially important is if you're no long, if you're not connected to the internet, you are relegated to uh, to a third world type of existence. It is the big divide of our time. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we were delighted that so much spectrum was being made available. Secondly, we were delighted that there was explicit pro-competition considerations, which meant certain spectrum wasn't available for again the two big guys, but you know the smaller ones could compete for it, which we did. And the advantage of that is that we are going to be able to cover much more South Africa, much faster, and that we will be able to bring our very, very affordable, unlimited data product to many more South Africans. I don't think it's a secret anymore, otherwise I'm going to get into trouble, but Rain will soon then launch countrywide mobile, and it will be 4G and ultimately 5G countrywide. And, it, you know, the packages haven't been announced yet, but they, they will be very attractive. And like you say, it provides this platform to new ways of doing things that we don't have to stick to the old ways that have perhaps been uh, prohibitive in the past, right? So talking about new ways of doing things, the FSCA recently made a decision to declare crypto in South Africa a financial product. So hopping onto another of your investments, Michael, good news for cryptocurrency exchange Vela, right? Yes, I was in Vela. We also started a bundle of investments, which is now Easy Crypto. Um, I've been dabbling in crypto ever since 2013 when I was introduced to it. And um, I Did think it it's one of these... Big, uh, to you post e -bucks. Yeah, you see, the e-bucks thing was interesting. Is 
when we initially launched eBikes, we really launched it as a currency. You know, the very first ads show that it was the world's first e-currency issued by a bank. And then we got wrapped uh, over the knuckles by the central bank at the time saying, you know, we're not allowed to issue a currency, only the central bank can do it. So we build in our horns. But that, at least in my mind, opened my mind to the possibility that currencies don't just need to come from central banks. You know, currencies can come from any place where you have faith or trust. So when Bitcoin came about, I have to say I was fortunate to be one of the early adopters. I never knew that the price would go up that much. Still don't know where the price is going to go. But I think the technology is very interesting because it allows completely new business models. So there's going to be disruption coming from that. And in a very, very basic case, it makes offshore payments, paying there and receiving it much, much easier than anything the banking system can come up with. Like you say, you were an early adopter because at the time of investment, there was no regulation, but you clearly saw and understood the, uh, you know, the logic behind a decentralized finance system, how crypto could challenge our existing model of uh, doing business. What appropriate regulation does though, Michael, now is open the opportunity for crypto operators to potentially uh, buy banks or vice versa. Could we be looking at a potential tie up between Vela and Bank Zero? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Um, well, firstly, because the way I operate with all my startups is that they operate completely independently. Um, if somebody wants to be introduced to each other, of, of course, I, I would facilitate that. But for startups to succeed, they need to focus. Um, and, you know, there's an incredible amount of focus happening at Bank Zero just to get the basics right. Um, will there in time be opportunities um, with crypto or rather blockchain? I definitely think there will. I think the most likely uh, form of participation, they will have something to do with uh, payments abroad and back. You only have to make one Bitcoin payment once to see how easy it is and to realize you have something that now doesn't even recognize international borders to understand the power of what cryptocurrencies can do. But no, there's no such partnership in the short term. Is it fair, though, to say where, there, where your investments have this integration potential, there's also a potential to cannibalize? Yeah, there may be, although that's never been something that worries me. Um, in, in fact, the argument is always, are you going to cannibalize yourself or are you going to let somebody else cannibalize you? When it's obvious what the future is, you've got to bet on where the future is going. I mean, I said earlier, in a couple of years, everybody will have a smartphone. So if you build it up a business now, build it on that type of assumption. Don't build it on feature phones, for example. You know, if it's clear that there's going to be a lot of decentralized solar capability and the cost of solar is coming down. Uh, um, I mean, there was this famous quote, uh, I, I think it's probably overquoted by the Canadian um, ice hockey player, Wade Gretzky, who said, you know, I asked him why he was so good. And he said, it's, it's because I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. And, and that's what you basically have to do in business. You have to place your bets on what you think is the most likely future. And if that involves cannibalization, lower prices, you are better off leaning into it and making it work than resisting it. Well, you placed a lot of your bets uh, up front, right? You mentioned uh, uh, that you regretted having invested all your funds uh, so soon that you wish you had made more when you made this Vela investment. And we all wish we had more capital, right? And that's yeah. the, old, the age old question, is enough ever enough? As a venture capitalist though, where are you seeing the opportunity now? What are some of the green shoots we're potentially missing? So clearly, energy is a really, really big thing worldwide. Um, and you, uh, I mentioned solar now, but ultimately in the world, um, this uh, 
fusion could be an incredibly powerful new source of energy. Um, and it's, of course, environmentally friendly. Um, it, it, it's green, so we don't have to burn the fossil fuel. So I, 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 that's going to be very interesting. And the next one is AI. Um, like everybody's talking about this chat GBT. I've actually never seen a technology being adopted so fast and so many people talking about it. And the amount of use cases are actually quite incredible. And I came across this line, I wish I'd said it myself, but it's, uh, it's about people that are worried about AI taking their jobs. And the line is that it's not AI that'll take your job, but it's somebody else who can work better with AI than you. So yeah. I, I, once again, I would urge people to lean into AI, lean into ChatGPT, learn how to use these tools. It really is quite magnificent how that is going to transform everything, including education and what happens in the workplace. In fact, you've started up a coding academy, Codex, and yep. it's focused on growing yes. South Africa software developers. Does the does the brain drain worry you? It's easy to see the logic, right, on why you build or grow these skills and how it supports some of your investment decisions as well. But how are you convincing young professionals to stay in the country for their own benefit? Alicia, I'm, I'm, I'm a positive person. I'm, I'm optimistic because I believe we can create the future we want. But I'm worried. Of course, I'm worried about um, the brain drain because I don't think there is enough of an understanding how crucial it is to keep those key skills. The right type of alpha skill, if you want to call it that, can create 10 or 100 new jobs or is responsible for managing that by coming up with new ideas or breaking businesses. So, you know, losing one key skilled person, an Elon Musk, you know, can change the trajectory of an entire country. How we came up with, with the Codex idea was we basically said, let's see if we can bridge two big problems. One, obviously, is youth unemployment. But the other one is that there is, in fact, an acute skill shortage in corporates. Corporates and startups want more coders. They've got a lot of work to do. They will have vacancies. They are trying to rely on outsourced agreements in India and in other countries. We said, well, can we match that? And that's what Codex has basically done, is it, it showed that we can take high-potential kids from underprivileged areas, from townships. You can train them for a year or two and they get jobs, more than 80% of them get jobs as junior developers, white collar jobs, and then support huge families. So we'll be do, doing just under 200 of them this year with the help of some corporates. And that gives me incredible joy. You know, this it happens to be business, not a profitable business, to set up on business principles. But the joy it gives me that there are 200 people this year who will be taken out of no employment or underemployment to a level where they can look after their families and also solve problems for corporates. So yeah. if there are any corporates out there listening, uh, we'd love to do it for you too. Absolutely. And I guess that speaks to why you're still investing in South Africa as well. Are you sitting now, Michael, with enough of a war chest to potentially put to work? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Um, I actually... Um, I, I get so excited about my investments that I've even broken Warren Buffett's rule, which is, you know, I've, I've even borrowed against him. I've even got some gearing in my portfolio. Um, but that's fine. That's fine. You know, that's what entrepreneurs do. We take risks and we, we allocate capital. I'm also fortunate to be chairman of the SASME fund. That is, in fact, the largest venture capital fund in South Africa, not my own. Um, and, and there we've dispersed over a billion rands to other venture capital companies. And that too gives me great joy because um, these are investments that would not have been made had the SASME fund not existed. And they are all in cutting edge industries. They are all transformative. So they're helping South Africa transform. 
creating jobs and they, they all making South Africa more competitive. So, you know, new business and startups is really where all the action is. And Alicia, if I can just add a final point there, I didn't get involved in all these startups again in the first instance out of uh, making money. But if you have a proper VC portfolio, a startup portfolio, you comfortably outperform the JSE. And that would be my message to many other people out there. You'll have some listeners that are retired. You know, instead of just putting everything in the stock exchange, get involved in small businesses. It's energizing to be with people who create and the returns can actually surprise you. And I'm sure there are many listening very intently to that because you can find it hard to come by anyone, Michael, who can easily fault uh, what the 25 ventures roughly you've invested in since stepping down as CEO of FNB. In fact, I have a quote of yours uh, right in front of me. The venture capital thesis is to make 10 to 20 uh, diversified risky investments. Some fail, but the overall portfolio is low risk and high performance because yes. of a few exceptional ones. So let's hope that the exceptional ones continue to rear their heads because high performance in a low growth to no growth economy is no yes. easy feat. Um, but thank you for having joined us thank today, you. Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. Michael Jordan is founder and CEO of Investment. Thank you so much. And Gray Capital and to our audience. Thanks for watching. And remember, this webinar is available via podcast. The series is free, it's shareable, it's open to anyone interested, whether you're a PSG client or not. So keep the conversation going. The social media campaign is hashtag thinkbigpsg. For now, it's goodbye from me, and I'll see you at the next one.